you have a Bible, please open to Philippians 4. Today, today we come to one of my top 10 favorite verses in all the Bible, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. So if you want to discover how to have a joy-filled life, how to have a satisfying life, it's all in this little letter. I mean, 19 times we are told about the joy that we can have in our lives. And so if you look in your notes, we've seen it all throughout the book. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, we can have joy in suffering because we know God is in control. God is working a plan out in my life. God is not finished with me yet. Philippians 2, we can have joy in serving. With Philippians 3, we can have joy in trusting. And last week, we were commanded to stand fast in the Lord, and that means to be strong, to stay faithful through our trials. The second command was be of the same mind in the Lord, that is, be mature to disagree in an agreeable manner. You're going to find three commands, all with in the Lord mentioned there. Now, unbeknown to me, and I said it last week, some of you were in a conflict with someone else. I didn't know it. God used his word to bring conviction for your part of the conflict. And several of you went to others and you made it right. And then you came to me to thank me for the message. Now, I appreciate the encouraging words, but God gets all the credit. It's God's message that helps us. It's God's message that guides us. It's God's message that restores us. And we learn that we have absolutely no control over the, the, uh, uh, the person in our conflict. We can't control their words or their actions. But we learn that we have, we have complete control over our attitude, over our words, and over our actions. And so today, today, if you still have a conflict with someone, I don't know it. I don't know about it. But if you have a conflict with someone, family, friend, coworker, church member, please, please, please go to the website, listen to last week's message again, and then as you talk to God about your hurt, ask Him to help you and to show you what to do. God will heal your heart. He will cleanse your soul. He'll restore your joy. He will. This is not only good for your soul, but it's also good for your body. Now look with me on page two of your notes. When you forgive someone, when you forgive someone of their offense against you, what does it say? <laughs> page two, top of the page, first sentence. When you forgive someone of their offense against you, what does it say? You win. You win. You win. Uh, in the box, forgiveness brings me joy. Forgiveness brings me joy. So we forgive others for several reasons. We only need one, but here we go. We forgive others because God commands us to forgive. Matthew 6, 12. And that's enough. That's enough of a reason, but let me give you more. We forgive others because it restores broken relationships. We forgive others because we are role models for our children and others. We forgive others because it relieves stress. It restores my joy. It is the healthy thing to do. Now, we had a little miscommunication here. I read the word smiley face. What I was hoping that they would do is they would put a little smiley face. So I need your help. Get a pen. Uh, draw a big circle. Draw a big circle in this white, and then put two eyes, 
and a smiley face, all right? Uh, that's what's supposed to go there. So big circle, two eyes, smiley face, and then, and then that inspired me to say anything in the message later on, when you see something and you say, I agree with that, I like that, I want you to the side, I want you to draw a circle, uh, put two eyes, and make a smiley face there. Okay, so we are looking at these reasons why we are to forgive. We learn Wednesday night, if you don't forgive, it's because you want, what? Vengeance. You want the offender to pay. You don't want to let them off the hook. You think they deserve punishment. Well, sure they do. They hurt you. They offended you. They said bad things about you. They hurt your friend. They hurt your family member. But God, but God forgave me. God forgave you. And he tells us to forgive them. So if you won't do it for God, and you won't do it for them, and you won't do it as a good example to others, I, I plead with you today, would you do it for yourself? Why? Because forgiveness brings me joy. Would you say that with me? Forgiveness brings me joy. You win. Forgiveness brings me joy. Life is too short to stay upset with people. Man, it's been a great sermon, and I haven't even read the text. So let's all stand together, and I'm going to read to you Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. And here we go. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let's say it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, I want to do something I've never done before, but I want, to, I want to pray a prayer of rejoicing over you. I want to pray that you'll take this command of God and you'll make it part of, part of your faith and part of who you are, that today you're going to rejoice, that this week you're going to rejoice and you're going to to rejoice in the Lord. So may we pray together. Father, Father, we pause before you. We have heard from heaven already through song, through the, your word, and now I ask, I ask that you would help each one of us to, to lay aside the cares of the world and to be able to focus upon the command you've given to us to rejoice, to rejoice in who you are to rejoice in what you've done. And now I pray for each one in this worship center that we will be filled with the Spirit of God when we walk through these doors in just a few minutes that the Spirit of God will bring to the, the, the front of our, the attention of our brain to rejoice in you. And I pray that we'll do it today. I pray we'll do it at home. I pray we'll do it each day this week and that we might begin a new habit of living the Christian life as you would have us to, rejoicing in the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Joy and happiness. Everyone wants it. The question is, do you have it? Are you filled with the joy of the Lord right now? I mean, if someone were to write five words to describe you, five words to describe your personality on a little card, would joy be one of the words that would describe you today? I love the Apostle Paul's humor here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you weren't listening two seconds ago, I want to say it again. Rejoice. 
rejoice. Hey, are you, are you pursuing happiness? Uh, most people that chase happiness, they're not really happy. They're busy chasing it like a big bubble, and as soon as they touch it, it pops. Now, there are two major mistakes people make about their own happiness. Uh, you see here in your notes. Number one, people think happiness is a right. People think that God owes them a happy life. The second mistake, they're pursuing happiness, but they're pursuing it in all the wrong places. I mean, just watch the TV commercials. They'll tell you, you got to have this, and you got to do this if you're going to be happy. God says, I want you to experience joy. God says, I want you to have abundant joy. Now, I'm not going to give you a, a three-step formula for how to have joy. I'm not going to ask you to fake it. That helps no one. But I want you to understand something today about joy. It's not something that you do. It's something that you receive from God. It's something that you choose. It's something that, that grows in your heart. And you either have a life, you have a life filled with joy or you don't. The decisive factor for joy, the decisive factor for joy is your faith. What you believe about God. You either believe or don't believe in God. You either believe or don't believe in the Bible, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what you believe is the most important determination about your joy. And so which statement describes you the best? My life, it's all about me. My life, it's all about God. If it's the first one, then you will have moments or seasons of happiness. But if it's about God, then you can have a life filled with joy. Uh, D.L. Moody wisely said, happiness is caused by things that happen, that happen around me, and circumstances will mar, mar it, but joy flows right on through the trouble. Now look with me in your notes uh, about Christians and their joy. Christi Christianity Today had an article to be happy in Jesus. The question was, are evangelical Christians really happier than their neighbors? Evangelical Christians are the happiest people in America. They are 26% more likely to describe themselves as very happy than Americans as a whole. This is according to, to two Pew, P-E-W, Pew Research Centers in 2007-2019. Christian Smith sociologist at Liberal UNC said there are many reasons why evangelical Christians rate higher than others on happiness in surveys. Christianity emphasizes forgiveness, the reduction of anxiety through prayer and gratitude. Even the Christian Post said Christians happiest among all faith groups survey reveals. So look on page three. So why? Why are Christians, by and large, generally such a happy bunch? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. We're more likely to feel good about our life because we know that God made us. We know He has a will for our lives. We have a purpose. We're not an accident. We're not a mistake of evolution. We know what it is to be loved, and not just to be loved by people, but to be loved by the creator of the universe. We know true contentment can't be found in a closet filled with new fascists. It can't be found in a bottle of alcohol, in a joint of marijuana, in prescription pills, or a new car, or the pleasures of the world. 
But you know, some Christians in Philippi 2,000 years ago uh, were losing their joy. And so Paul writes to remind them that to rejoice. Clearly, some of the church had lost their joy. Why? Why? Well, they lost their joy because of the false teachers. Some had a prideful attitude. Some wanted people to serve them. Some were taking sides, some with Yodius and some with Syntyche, two, two women who were leaders in the church, and they lost their joy. So I want to ask you today, have you lost your joy? Have you lost your joy? Are you letting anyone, are you letting anything steal your joy? And so what are the joy stealers? I want you to know that, that uh, what would steal my joy might be different from what would steal your joy. So think about it today. Uh, what discourages you? What depresses you? What bums you out? And just jot a couple of notes there for yourself. Could it be a lack of money? How about people? I mean, people, they're always getting under your skin. Is there someone who really bothers you? How about when you get sick? How about problems at home, problems at work, problems at school? You know, when we dwell on our problems, we, we glorify our problems. We really do. We give, it, we give them too much attention. And what we're saying is, we're saying that this, this problem is worthy of my mind to dwell on right now. And so you see, when you, when you dwell on a problem, you begin to focus on that problem. And all of a sudden, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't see anything else. I mean, you think about all the little details of it, you rehearse it in your mind again and again. And, and when you do that, what happens is uh, the, problem, the problem gets bigger, right? You're just so focused on it. And then you're, you're walking around and, and, and people say to you, oh, man, man, it looks like, looks like you've got a problem. We say, yeah, is it, is it written all over my face? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Kinda, and then if you if you keep focusing on that problem, uh, pretty soon it turns into not just one problem, but all of a sudden you got you got you got lots of problems. Do you do you want to be known as that person? Oh, that's that's a guy, that's a girl. I mean, all they got is problems, drama, uh, problems just all over their life. Is is that the kind of person you want to be known as? That you're you're so focused on your problems. Do you know that when you, you come to God, God says, I want you to take your focus off your problems, and I want you to put your focus on a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior who gave his life for you. Put your focus on Christ. As long as he is with you, you can have the joy of the Lord. There's only one way to make sure he is with you, and that is to invite Jesus Christ into your heart to become your Lord and Savior, to be born again into the family of God, to believe that you can't get to heaven with your sin, and you understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And when you ask God to forgive your sins, you're born into his family, and he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What a promise. So here we go. Problems that could kill the Apostle Paul's joy. The Apostle Paul could not have joy if it was contingent upon something other than Christ. Now remember, where is he writing this letter from? The city of Rome, and he is in what? He's in, he's in prison. He's in prison. And so uh, we can learn from this. Is your, 
joy dependent upon favorable circumstances? Is it dependent upon favorable circumstances? It is important that we understand that the, the joy of life is not dependent upon everything going right, smooth sailing. If his joy was determined by things going well for him, that he's not going to have any joy. Why? He's in prison. Why? Because he might be executed by Caesar. He might die. Back in June, Jody and I went down to Lauren Joyner and TJ's uh, wedding in North Carolina. I had a part in it. And so I said to Scotty and Amber, Amber just graduated high school, and Scotty uh, uh, first, just finished first year of college. I said to them, they're going to be home alone. Two things. Don't burn the house down, and don't kill the dog. That's it. Just don't burn the house down. Don't, don't kill the dog. And so we, we left, and we went to North Carolina. And uh, uh, later, later that day, I get a text from Scotty with this picture. Did you know the pool was broken? No. No, because when I left, the pool was not broken. So I, I'm thinking I should have said, don't burn the house down, don't kill the dog, don't break the pool. Because if you do, you're going to get a lower spot in the inheritance someday. <laughs> this is not a favorable circumstance. 7,646 gallons of water with chlorine pouring into my backyard. Uh, now it wasn't Scotty's fault. The pool lived a long life, about 15 years. You say, how can you rejoice in that? Well, well, uh, when my neighbor built an in-ground pool, he gave me his old pool. Now, that only lasted a year. It died, and then the insurance replaced it. Uh, but uh, but we, we had it for, for about 15 years. Do you know there's a 15-year age difference from my oldest son, who's sitting right over here, and my youngest daughter is a 15-year age difference. How, do you have any suggestions of a board game that a 17-year-old and a 2-year-old can play together and enjoy it? <laughs> Not at all. But, you know, I'm thankful that that during those years, we had a pool because you could put everybody in the pool and everybody could have a, a good time uh, together, and, and we did. And so I'm thankful that it was the most expensive free gift I've ever received in my life, uh, but we're thankful that we had it for the 15 years that we had it when the kids were growing up. The Apostle Paul could not have joy if his joy was contingent on favorable circumstances or owning things and possessions. If it was to have, be contingent on having things and possessions, then he wouldn't, have any, he wouldn't have any joy because he's in prison. He has no possessions. He only owns the clothes on his back. Now, two months before my pool collapsed, the pipeline, the gas pipeline, you know, from Texas to, to New England, they came through and they did a clear cut of all the trees within 25 feet of the pipeline. I had four beautiful white pines hiding my neighbor's junk uh, behind his, one of his garages. Do you know, how would you like to have someone come on your property and cut down four of your favorite trees and say, I legally have the right to do that? And they take away something that, that belongs to you and you own. And then they left a mess. They left stumps. They left roots. Nothing would grow on it. 
but I'm thankful that I had those pines to hide the junk. And then my neighbor bought a shed, and he put his junk in the shed. Uh, and then uh, we uh, had those trees to, to play hide-and-seek with the kid when the kids were growing up, and so I'm thankful that I had them for the time that I did. Personal freedom. Is your joy dependent on personal freedom? Do restrictions steal your joy? Restrictions at school, at work, at home. This is very typical with teenagers. I want to wear what I want to wear. I can't wear what I want. I'm not going to be happy. You did it when you were a teen. It's not they're doing their teens. I want my personal freedom. If Paul's joy was dependent upon his personal freedom to go where he wanted to go, to do what he wanted to do, he wouldn't have any joy. Because he's chained. He's literally chained to a Roman soldier. He didn't have personal freedom. How about outward success? If it was tied to outward success and a good reputation, he wouldn't have joy. How about not losing any friends? Ever lose any friends? It hurts. Paul lost several close friends. John Mark, he lost him for a while. Uh, Figules and Hermogenes and Demas, those are friends that he lost. How about good health? Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I have a thorn in the flesh. Steal your joy. How about not having any critics? You know, Paul had more critics than anybody in the Bible, second only to Jesus. What does he tell these Christians to do in spite of all of these things that he doesn't have? He says rejoice. And you say, Paul, don't you ever lose your joy? Apparently not. I just rejoice in the Lord. I like to smile. I like to laugh. I enjoy singing about the great things that God has done for me. And they remember the story. When he was in Philippi, they beat him. They put him in prison. And at midnight, what did he do? He and Silas, they sang. They sang hymns. Let's be realistic. His circumstances caused him sorrow, but sometimes he wept to the point of tears because of false teachers, because of Christians backsliding, because of not more Jews getting saved. And yet in the midst of all those difficult circumstances, there's like a river of joy that's flowing out of his, out of his life. Okay, here we go. Reasons Paul rejoiced. They're all from Philippians. Why I can rejoice because he did. Because I know God. Because I know God. I know who God is. He is our creator. He is our sovereign ruler. To me, that's the ultimate. You can't steal my joy when I realize God is in charge of everything. The single greatest thing I know about God as a Christian is he is Lord over all. He's in charge of everything, every circumstance. Nothing happens out of his control. Letter B, God controls my life, Philippians 1.6. He controls everything and he does it for my good. Romans 8, 28. Wow, wow. I, I, I know it, but I also believe it. In John 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You are my friend. I'm sorry, but you got to go back. Smiley face. <laughs> Smiley face alert. When God calls you his friend, that should make you smile. That should make you rejoice. Smiley face. Okay. Uh, we go on to the next one, letter C. God saved me and made me his child. Paul used to trust in his Jewish good works, and then he abandoned them for Christ. God says to you and me, you are my child. Uh, smiley face, that's a good one. God says, you're my child. You're in my family. I adopted you. You have my name. We can sing. I'm a child of the king. 
I'm a child of the king. That's a smiley face. Uh, here's one. God supplies all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What a promise. Chapter 4, verse 19. The promise now is specific to Christians in a missions-giving church. Church family, I announced to you last week that you gave $6,000 to help the church and school in Bahamas uh, from the uh, horrible flooding. But I have to tell you today, it wasn't six. It's $9,000. You're a generous church family. 9000 came in to help those folks uh, that are suffering. God bless you. And God says you can claim this promise that I will supply all of your needs according to his glory in Christ Jesus. A letter E, God is using me to point other people to Christ. God says, you are my representative. Let me see if I can convince you to put a smiley face here too. God says, you represent me to others. Now, let's suppose, let's suppose you are at a place where someone is drowning. You see them. They're going down. They can't swim. They're gasping. And in another few seconds, they're going to be gone. They're going to die. They're going to drown. And you grab one of those little round right life rafts, and you take it, and you whip it out there like a Frisbee, and it lands right beside them. And you watch. You see this person grab a hold of it, and they start breathing. And if there's a rope attached to it, you begin to pull it in. And you are responsible for saving them from drowning. How do you feel? How does that make you feel? Pretty good? Pretty good? I'd say that is nothing. That is nothing compared to being able to pull out a track and be able to be used by God to lead someone to Jesus Christ to save them for an eternity from hell. I told you last week about the, uh, uh, the lady, the prostitute in Las Vegas. Nobody picked her. Nobody chose her. She was despondent. She went into a restaurant. She saw a man sitting alone. And she went. She sat down at the table by the man, uninvited. She offered herself to him. And he pulled out a track and he gave it to her and gave a witness. She walked five miles in despair until she was across the street from Liberty Baptist Church. And she went in. And she got saved. And she grew in her faith. And she married a Christian man. She's now an associate pastor's wife. Do you know that the guy who gave the prostitute the tract in the restaurant probably doesn't know that she got saved? But one day he will. In heaven, she's going to be there to shake his hand, to give him a hug and say, thank you. Thank you for throwing the life raft out to me. And that's a smiley face. You are God's representative. God is using you to point people to Christ by you, the witness that you are and that you give. Here's one. Here's one. God listens when I pray and he cares. God, li he always listens to me. I mean, most of us don't get that at home, do we? <laughs> hey, are you listening? God is. God is. He listens and he cares. You know, on Monday after the funeral, uh, with some help from Brother Moses, I, I finally got these two messes in my yard that had been there for months. And uh, we got out the roots and got some dirt and, and got it spread. And, and then I put the seed and worked all the way until dark. And I looked, I looked at, at the forecast. Sunny for eight days. Do you know when you put down 40 pounds of grass seed, sunny for eight days... 
is not a favorable uh, situation at all. And so, yeah, I, I get out the sprinkler because uh, the, the birds are going to eat it. This is going to die. But no rain in the forecast. Not good. Not good. I got a text from Jody on Thursday. God is so good. Look at that beautiful rain. The grass is going to go crazy. Yeah, I didn't even ask God to give rain. Uh, but the Bible says God gives rain on the just and on the unjust. And, and last night, a lot of lightning. Did you hear the roar of the thunder and the, the rain? God watered my grass. That's why it rained last night. Uh, I tell you, uh, God is good. God cares about us. He cares about us uh, so much. Here's one. God promises to take me to his heaven. God says to the church, and that's all of us who are saved, you are my bride. Smiley face. Hey, hey, smiley face alert. I'm coming to get you, God says. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but what? To die is gain. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm rejoicing. So seven really good reasons that Paul gives us to rejoice. Because I know God. I know who God is. I know he controls my life and on and on. Okay, now that's Paul. How about you and I? Here we go. Here, you and I. Number three, how can I rejoice in the Lord? Here's the first one. Remember my relationship with Christ. Remember my relationship with Christ. Notice verse 4. Carefully. Rejoice, underline it. In the Lord, be cheerful, be thankful, be happy. It doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. It says rejoice in the Lord. You have a relationship. God says you're my child. God says you're my friend. God says you're my bride. We're rejoicing that we have a relationship with God, not the circumstances, good or bad. It does not mean that we'll have seasons of sorrow. Sure, we just had two church members go through a season of sorrow. But the Bible says, when you sorrow, when you lose your family members, we sorrow not as others who have no hope. Because we have a promise to be reunited together in heaven. Remember my relationship with Christ. Letter B, obey God's command to rejoice. Paul is giving us a command to rejoice. He said, how do you command someone to rejoice? Well, God would not give us a command if we couldn't obey it. We think of a command, we think of, thou shalt, say it, not, thou shalt not. This is in the imperative. It's a command. Thou shalt rejoice. Thou shalt smile. Thou shalt be joyful and be happy. This is God's command. But pastor, don't you know the Congress and the president, they are in a war of wars. Doesn't bother me. God is still on the throne. We're to pray for our leaders. I'm not going to lose any sleep over what's going on in Washington, D.C. Jesus said, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Happy are those people that keep my commandments. So if you want joy to overflow in your life, then obey God's command, beginning with a command to rejoice. Then let me speak to you from my heart. If you have a grudge, if you're bitter over a family member or a friend or a coworker or a church member, you lose. You lose. What do you lose? You lose peace. You lose joy. You lose laughter. You lose your sense of humor. But you do gain some things. You gain bitterness. You gain a bad attitude. You gain nagging physical aches and pains. 
When you won't forgive someone, you suppress your immune system. You gain poison in your soul. You gain trouble with God and people. Bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and grudge holding, they're not worth it. Life's too short. It's too short. Eternity too long to disobey God in this area. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, before you come to worship, go, go get it. Do your part to make it right. You'll never truly rejoice in the Lord until you get a, uh, you get a, a grip on forgiveness. Here's one, letter C. Choose an attitude of rejoicing. Okay, this one, you put a star and a smiley face by it. A star and a smiley face. Happiness is a choice. Listen to what Viktor Frankl, the survivor of a concentration camp, listen to what he wrote. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. <laughs> I mean, none of us have any idea what it would be like to live through that. Happiness is a choice. One more, submit to the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 14, 17. You walk in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit prompts you. He prompts you to do something good. Do it, you'll be happy. He prompts you to stay away from something, to not to do something. Don't do it, you'll be happy. It's called the joy in the Holy Spirit. You can always look at the positive side. You can always know that God is working things for your good, even the bad things. And when you get weak, He is strong. So how to rejoice? You know, in one way or another, 70 times, 70 times in the New Testament, Christian, you are told to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, be joyful, be blessed. It's a pretty serious command. I think we need to take it to heart. One commentator said about this verse, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in Him. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice in the Lord. Delight, take pleasure in God. Again, I say it, rejoice. You know, this year God has been teaching me through Philippians that my joy is in Him and not in pleasing others. And so I, I want to really encourage you. I want to encourage you to read, and teenagers, you as well, read all four chapters. Read it in one sitting, and then do it again, and do it again. Do it for two weeks. Do it for two weeks, and believe and meditate. I mean, you're going to know it so well. You're going to say, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, right page, right column, halfway down, there it is. It's going to become a part of you. It's going to change you and make you more like Christ. Take your focus off your problems. Put it on a person. Stop blame shifting. Start rejoicing. Start with your family. Start today. I'm going to ask you at the end of the service to write down the names of four people around you and to ask them what they're rejoicing in today. Something that they're rejoicing in. Maybe it's work or health or family something they're thankful for. And then I'm going to ask you to be able to, to pray for them that they'll rejoice today and then tomorrow and Tuesday. And, and for one week, I'm going to ask you to pray for those four. You say, I don't know them. Well, that's why you're going to ask in their name. You're going to write it down, and you're going to pray that they'll be filled with the joy of the Lord this week. And so let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our Savior and the salvation we have in him. Now with our heads bowed, or our eyes closed, you'd say, Pastor, uh, if I died, I know I would go to heaven. I am a Christian. I, I have been born again. There was a time in my life I'm not trusting in baptism. 
I'm not trusting in my good works, my church membership. I'm not trusting in my sincerity. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And there was a time that I, I committed my life to Christ. I received him as my Lord and Savior. I remember the time. I remember the place. You might not know the date. That's okay. But you know today that when you got saved, the angels rejoiced, and you're not ashamed to be called a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian, a true Christian, not just in head but from your heart. Now, if you had that assurance that if you were to die today, you, you know you would go to heaven, would you simply lift your hand all over, all over the auditorium? God bless you. God bless you. Thank, you may put your hands down. You say, Pastor, I, I do believe the Bible, and I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for me and rose again. Well, then you have all the head knowledge, but you need more than that. You need a heartfelt faith and commitment to follow Christ. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about joining a church, turning over a new leaf. It's about understanding you can't go to heaven with sin on your soul. And the one way to be forgiven of all of your sins, it's not a confessional booth, it's not attending church, it's not baptism. For by, by faith, grace, the gift, belief in Christ. And if you'd like to do that right now, you pray to God, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Join the one who prayed this morning in their first service. Say, Pastor, I want to become a Christian. I mean a true Christian. I want to become a follower of Christ. I want to put all my faith and trust in Him and ask for forgiveness. If you'd like to do that now, you can do it right where you're seated. I'll not embarrass you. I'll not call you out in any way. I just simply want to invite you to receive this wonderful gift of grace, of forgiveness, of heaven. And so if you sense the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, say yes to God. Say yes right now. Simply raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I want to pray with you today. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. I want to be born again into the family of God. I understand it's a gift. I understand it's the faith of a child to believe that he died for me and rose again. I receive that gift. Simply hold your hand up high. Hold your hand up high for a moment. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? I'd like to do that with you, Pastor. Anyone else? Hold it up high. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone in the balcony? I want to pray with you today. God bless you. Yes. Thank you. Our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. You don't even have to pray out loud. God will hear the prayer of your heart. My prayer will not save you. But if you are sincere, if you mean business with God right now, would you pray with me? Pray with me. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me today. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, Christian, may I ask you 
Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Well, God commands me and he commands you. And I think there's, there's room for all of us to grow in this area of rejoicing. God, help us now to take the focus off of our problems and to put the focus on a person, our wonderful Savior. Change us, make us more like Christ. As we leave this worship center, may the joy of Christ from our hearts be overflowing in our lives, starting today, starting with our family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. As we well, good evening, church. It's truly, truly, truly a blessing to be here with each and every one of you. It's been 21 years ago that we first came. Lucy and I were just married about a few months and uh, no kids at all. Uh, life was much different. And uh, <clears throat> I mean that in a good way, boys. Uh, but it was, it was fun to be here. I truly remember with fond memories those a year and a half, two years that my wife and I traveled uh, over different states and cities of this beautiful country, our beautiful country. And uh, to be honest, it was, it was quite a delight to come here. Yes, I did mess up the... Uh, the VFBT, I, I just heard everybody saying it. I never understood that they were implying it towards the church. It sounded like Italian VFBT. And, it, and, the, and the, way, the way people said it, was, the guy who said it had an Italian accent. Well, it's not my fault. It's one of y'all's faults, in all honesty. But uh, I did. And, and leave it to the idiot missionary to be yelling out in a golf course, you know. Uh, I hadn't played golf in years so uh, I'd probably been out golfing once or twice back home in Chattanooga. And so when I came out here, I was like, yeah, golf, you know. I didn't have clubs, shoes, or anything, but I had the desire, you know. And uh, I was yelling out through that course, and I'm, I'm so embarrassed to think about that now. I'm sorry. So to whoever, whoever I embarrassed that day, you, you may come and collect an offering from me later on. Uh, but I'm truly blessed to be here today. And I almost raised my hand in the popcorn blessings. I love that idea. As a matter of fact, I took an idea. I took several ideas from here when I came. See, over the years when Venezuela was still normal, I could receive mail. And I was every year so anxious to get the yearly package you would send me. Every year, Pastor. And you, you burdened me with this desire to give our year a theme. Matter of fact, this year's theme is wait no more. And the objective is wait no more, hashtag obey now. And, and uh, there's one for y'all, maybe y'all. <laughs> I mean, we've used yours, so it's my, I think it's just fair, you know. Uh, sorry, I've been in a socialist country too long. I'm talking about too much fairness. I do all sincerely apologize. But I'm not going to go long. I've got uh, a few minutes left, and I, I want to take the time to share God's word. I want to challenge you with God's word tonight. As a matter of fact, I want to challenge you with what I challenged our church before I came back. Uh, and, and people were, were nervous. They just assumed it was another missionary leaving the field because of what's going on in Venezuela. And uh, it wasn't until one of the last nights, there was no power. Electricity was out. We were all sitting in the church, dark as could be. Everybody pulled their, uh, their, their uh, phones out and turned their flashlights on. A few cars parked in front of the church, and we opened the windows and tried to get the light through, and, and we celebrated that night. We sang. We actually played games. We had one crazy lady in our church. Every church has a crazy lady. Uh, 
she led some awesome games and we had a blast and uh uh one of the things we re reassured the church is folks we're coming back there's there's not been any change from the boss above and uh Everyone talks to me about safety and issues, and uh, as a matter of fact, hopefully in a few weeks, we will be meeting with a security team who will be teaching us as a family about secret codes on the phone, safe houses, uh, ransom insurance, things like that that we're now facing on the field. But it's funny, they say, what about your safety? And I've always said there's no safer place than in the middle, in the center of God's will. Uh, I could be in the middle of the worst war. If God's leading me, I will be safe. And it's his, if it's my turn to go, then it's his plan. It's not I did wrong or I was in the wrong place. It's God had me in the right spot. So I am grateful. I'm grateful to serve. And I'll preface what I'm about to say by saying I did nothing to obtain this. But yes, I am a third-generation missionary, a fourth-generation pastor. And I, my popcorn at, at gratefulness is this. Uh, I got to say it, Pastor, is... I never knew furlough with grown-up kids was this fun. I don't have to change diapers. I still have to tell them what to wear. No, they don't always like it. They did not want to wear ties. Well, I'll confess, neither did I. Uh, until they put them on, looked in the mirror, they go, wow, Dad, I look pretty good. We traveled all the way to Atlanta at First Baptist Church Atlanta, Dr. Charles Stanley has a missions care center and any missionary pastor, will, if you ever need it, it's there, it's available. You call in, they'll greet you. And uh, we all got suits and uh, trust me, I'm here without a jacket and I'm, I'm still boiling up. Uh, it, I guess when you get used to something, it just, it just happens that way. It's very hot down in Venezuela. But the true fact is this, it, the heat does not affect me. Nothing of that affects me at all. Um, right now what's affecting me is that I wish I was back there but I also know I've got to be here and what I want to share with you tonight though may be brief it is from God's heart to mine to yours does that make sense and that's the only way I would want it because if it only came from me then you might as well leave now but it's I had to challenge our church God had to challenge me he has been for the past few years uh, what I want to show you in the next few minutes is a quick video of how our church started in the living room of our house, then moved to the back patio, then moved to the family den, and then moved to the back patio again, and we arranged chairs, and, 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 and you know, we grew from a few uh, people to several hundred people, and, and how our church is this year coming up, starting our Bible Institute full-blown we're starting uh local then regional and then national lord willing um we're working with two three other missionaries that are still in the country and we're planning on making it national eventually our our knowledge is this the government in venezuela may collapse at any minute because venezuela has already collapsed but if it doesn't and one of the next steps the government will do is just ask all americans to leave the country absolutely we already lost our embassy down there and that scared us a lot Matter of fact, to come here was just quite an ordeal. You see, I'm not leaving. I wasn't leaving my country. I was going to my country. I was coming back to the States, and I lost my passport where my visa is that would allow me or grant me permission to go back in Venezuela. And uh, I spent three and a half years trying to get that little stamp put on. I paid people. We went through channels of left and right. We still could not get it done. 
The only way we could do it is go to Colombia, and actually my boy's passports had expired. We had no embassy to go to to get them renewed. So we had to cross the border into Colombia, and that took us two, three days. We had to cross illegal channels, underground networks, and, and places that we could go hiding so that they didn't know we were Americans. Because if not, hear me out, not the guerrillas, not the, not the drug lords, but the actual National Guard were the ones that would harm us and do the damage. And uh, the same when we came here, uh, it, was, it was quite interesting. We traveled for several days, uh, crossed several states. I got, it, you know what's something cool? On our way, leaving Venezuela, we said goodbye to the church. This was two months ago. We were leaving. One of our church members said, Pastor, my daughter was just arrested. Somebody from Colombia lied to her, convinced her to bring in a little bit of drugs, and they offered a large amount of money, and she thought about her kids who come to our church, by the way. Now, this lady does not. She travels back and forth. She used to sell merchandise. Somebody saw her. Somebody took advantage of her, pride on a weaker woman, a single woman by herself. You could see the sight of desperation on her face. Venezuelan skin is stuck to their bones now more than ever. You can see the people losing weight, being hungry. Uh, I pay gas with eggs and pasta and rice. That's what I pay my gasoline in my car with. And uh, he said, Pastor, my daughter was arrested, and she's in a faraway state. I don't have the money to travel. Would you? So we took a detour, went to the prison where she was held. They weren't allowing anyone in. I explained the situation. They let me in. I went in, got to preach to the whole wing of all the women that were in prison. Several of these gals got saved. The girl got to hear. I just got word from Brother Miguel this afternoon. I was in our room, our lovely room. Thank you, Brother Ron, Miss Pam. I love you guys. Uh, they, I'm in the Hilton or something. Uh, he said, Pastor, we just got some good news. Uh, my daughter's case has been moved for mistrial and they might be releasing her pray she'll come to our church uh so i'm i'm excited um what you're about to see i made a mistake i said last christmas in 2019 what i meant to say was 2018 but i already deleted the original audio files so please forgive me just just bear with me when i say 2019 y'all go Beep, and then just continue watching the movie it'll be really cool you will also see a quick moment where I talk about the children's feeding ministry. I don't say much because that's what I would like to share with you as well. So, my dear friends, let's roll that tape. Have you ever wondered how starving people, eating from the trash, riots every day, how this became normal. It's simple. Socialism will destroy any nation. Every single day, lying on the streets of many places in Venezuela, people will wait for hours and days just to get food. This is a line for gasoline. to notice the cars on their left they're all waiting for gas they've been there for two days the line has not driving been. about one minute before I started 
Not only are people hungry, not only is there no gas and no electricity, human rights violations occur every single day all over Venezuela. There's no one to stop it. There's no one to go to when you see it happen. A few policemen stopped this couple. They beat the husband up while the wife's purse was stolen in broad daylight. No one dares to speak out. Everyone's afraid because they know they will be abused. They will be beat up or incarcerated just for having a different opinion. Listen, America. All of these things that you've been seeing are not only occurring in the country, but they're happening to my family and I as well. Every day we face the battle of not having electricity, of having no running water, having to get water out of an underground tank to shower, to wash dishes. We have people come to our home. Please, can we wash clothes? Please, can we cook? Please, can we eat? My wife makes food and meals many times a day for people that come, and that's difficult. These are the things my family and I face each and every day. This and much more. You've heard the facts, and yes, it's bad. It's really happening. But our God has shown us again and again that he's a God above our reality, and he can do things we can't. And to be honest, there's sometimes he can see things that we can't. And the fact is, our family is as human as you are. And even we have doubted at times what God can do. God has allowed us to plant the Iglesia Punto de Encuentro, un lugar donde Cristo es el centro. It all means the Gathering Point Church, a place where Jesus Christ is the center. It all started in 2014 when we invited one family to our home. From one family it became several families, and from several families to dozens. Month after month, more and more came to hear the Word of Christ. Today, with two services, we have a little over 300 members. We also have a very dynamic children's ministry that throughout the year brings God's Word into the lives of so many children. Our youth ministry is one of the most exciting. We have too many events per week. The Saturday Youth Connection and the Sunday Youth Ministry. These ministries are designed so that each one of our teenagers can be discipled by one of our volunteers so we can make sure that the generation that comes behind us will follow Christ. The church is growing so much that we're now having camps during the year for men, women, teenagers. Each one of these camps are for a week long and we are seeing lives changed. We are seeing marriages come back together. We are seeing families being restored, rebuilt.
Last year, my dad came up with a crazy idea. And when I say crazy, it's really because no one really thought it could be done when he first mentioned it. Even I was not sure how we could do it. We didn't have the money to do it. We didn't know where we would do it. We didn't even know what was the first step. And I think my dad didn't either. But I've seen God lead my dad so many times in the things that seemed impossible, yet God made them happen over and over again. But wait, then my dad said, why don't we do it in three cities? Three cities? For real? That's crazy. Yes, it's crazy. But we did it. And in three weeks, we reached three cities. Sanare, Guanare, and Cabudare. Over 15,000 people heard the gospel. We brought Christmas, and we reminded them that Jesus was the reason to celebrate Christmas. They were all invited to our church for our next day service, and we greeted thousands of people that morning. Over 1,500 gifts were handed out that morning through the loving effort of many churches and ministry partners back home in the States. Well, folks, thank you, because when you're praying for us, you have no idea what God is doing on the mission field. Thank you for always thinking about us. I want to thank you for your prayers, day and night. Thank you for partnering with our family. We are the RC family, your missionaries to Venezuela. I hope, I hope it kind of gives you a glimpse into what's been going on. And honestly, this does not do even 5% justice. Every day powers out at least four to six hours. Four to eight hours, sorry. Sometimes it'll go out twice a day, four to eight hours. With no electricity, no running water, with no running water, with no electricity, no pump, gas pumps are working. With no electricity, no banks are working, no tra financial transactions are working. You can't s slip your, your, your debit card or your credit card anywhere. You, it's just everything is closed. You'll see shop owners on, on the side of the streets just scratching their heads in and, and desperation trying to figure out People will bring their, their already rotting meat out onto the street and post, say, half rotten meat for sale, and people will come and buy it. A few days later, you'll come out and say, rotten meat for sale, and you'll see people in line to buy it. One bag in the weight of about a kilogram of chicken skin is sold for over half one month's wage just to give a little bit of flavor to their stew or soup. Every people, every person we meet that is going to help us, they don't ask money in exchange. They ask for food. When I go into the bakery or the bread store to buy, I said, sir, I'll take care of your vehicle. Would you bring me some bread on your way out? Yes, sir. It's been an incredible way to witness to these kids and teenagers that are there. I got tired of, of, of feeling depressed. And, and forgive me for saying this, but I did feel depressed. I felt down. Days we want, didn't want to get up. We didn't want to go out. We didn't want to win souls. We would, discipleship, ah, just stay home. It gets to your head. We've had several missionaries that have left that are actually in treatment for PTSD right now. 
the constant power outages, the shots being fired right around the corner. And, it's, and you know it's not your hunting buddies and it's not hunting season. Every time you see a cop, instead of saying, good afternoon, sir, or thank you, you freeze and panic. Even though you're not doing anything, you're scared. And it's frustrating to always be scared. It's frustrating to always feel this knot in your stomach every time you drive by anyone and, and they look at you strange and you panic, is he going to rob me? What, what's going on? The conversation in our teenagers at churches, so how many times did you get robbed this week? Oh, just two. When I came back two months ago, I was showering real quick around 6, 6.30 in the evening running and I showered and I got dressed and I sat down on the couch, turned the fan on. I said, here it comes. And, and I, I had totally forgotten I was in the States. I was expecting the power to go out. We would use the restroom, and I would tell the boys, don't flush till four or five have used it. So my brother said, man, what's going on, man? You guys are dirty. I was like, it's, it's just number one. He goes, yeah. And he asked me, he goes, did you forget you're in the States? I said, I'm sorry. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. A little embarrassing, a little funny. We laughed at it. Now I almost flushed twice just to see the water roll. <laughs> wow. Wow. I know it's lame. It's sad. It's funny what goes for entertainment nowadays. But then I got back two months ago and saw the TV shows people are watching. I'm like looking at the toilets better. <laughs> It's, it's healthier. I'm glad he got a kick out of it. Uh, here's the facts. It's not fun. It's not easy. Uh, we've had to change the service times at our church constantly. Actually, a few years back. Not right now. It's, it's kind of over. Uh, as soon as they got whim, the, oh, the, mayor's, the mayor rented a facility in front of our church. It was like a little a B&B type only rich people could go there she rented the whole thing out and it was totally uh, National Guard all on the outside and inside guarding the in and out it was very very for a second I thought wow that's cool our church is going to have a lot of security until I realized that every time we had our service our power would go out so we stopped announcing what times the service were or actually we continued we just changed it and we'd post on social media services at what time and we'd have a service at another time and we had electricity then so we realized okay they're hunting us down all our phones are intervened or tapped matter of fact we can actually hear them talking in the background about us it's it's ridiculous um we had to cancel our home phone we only have cell phones right now um but it's the last few years i was telling pastor this the last few years it's just been learning how to do missions in a new way See, I went down there as a young man, third generation, thought I had a lot figured out. And uh, started our first church in 2005. Valley Forge went down, had one awesome missions trip with us. We enjoyed every minute. Uh, I've got pictures of pastor, one of the pastors that was on staff doing stuff. You guys may want to ask for those pictures later. I'm totally kidding, totally kidding. <laughs> He was drinking out of a coconut. I just wanted to make you guys go. 
And those of you who did have evil thoughts, please come to the altar after the service. The, the fun we had, the level of enjoyment, I learned so much from them. As a matter of fact, almost each one of the young men from our church down in Venezuela who were there at that mission trip, you ready to hear this? Almost all of them are now pastors, and we've sent them out, and they've started. Out of the one church we started, we've got about five, six other churches that have started, reproduced in itself, and I have now left that church, and we started a new one five years ago, which is the pictures you just saw of 2014. I'm loving every minute of it. Our first service is only for the church staff. 8.30 in the morning, all the church staff gathers. We worship, we sing, I preach and teach God's word passionately. And then on the second hour, all staff goes and just spreads out like a fan all over our, our little field there. And, and we, as you saw, we have some under the trees and some are beside bushes, some underneath a, a piece of tarp. And, and we just, we've got a, a, a three-story building that was already there when we rented it. And so we use teenagers, middle-class uh, nurseries and it's just incredible what God has allowed us to do. All this is God doing it. But five years ago, this is not what it looked like. You see, five years ago, actually to go back a little bit real quick, as you all know, Hugo Chavez died. It's funny, he died after cursing God and Israel. And he said, I curse you from the inside of my stomach. It's kind of almost with all my guts. That's exactly where his cancer showed up. And God poked his head out and said, I wasn't joking. Matter of fact, nothing of what God says is jokingly. It's lovingly. It's patiently, but not jokingly. The man who's now illegally in power has already cursed God in a few occasions. I fear for his death. Uh, I actually follow him on Twitter and I've sent him Bible verses. I try not to engage him because I don't really want to witness to him all the time. And that's the honest truth. The damage he has done to friends, to families. One of my boys, buddy, 20-something years old, they were protesting on the streets because they had no gas and no water for over three weeks. The National Guard came, took a few shots, aimed at a few people, in the, and their friend was on the floor dead immediately. Um, yet still, my wife and I will go to some of these protests and pull up in the back of my pickup truck, and I've stood and gathered hundreds around and started preaching the Word of God for the little speaker and a microphone. I got sick one day. I was really feeling bad. There was a big protest in our city, and my wife went with the kids, and she said, my husband's not here, but I'm going to, and she went, bless God. No, no, she did. She just got up there and hopped on the back of the pickup truck and gathered everyone around. Um, you'll see some videos and pictures of that over the week in the Mitch's conference on our laptop. You'll see it scrolling. It was so, I felt so proud of her, seeing her standing up there, praying with thousands of people, holding Venezuelan flags, and she was praying to the name of Jesus Christ and, and telling the people that, that the only solution to Venezuela's crises is not a U.S. invasion or a change in their government, but that God be God over that nation. 
And you know what? It's, it's a true fact. And if we as Americans don't do anything about this, we won't have a nation under God. And it will be divisible. And I know I did not come to preach politics or but you are my American family here. I now have a Venezuelan family there and I've given my all to be with them. But I sure would hate to come back and not be able to find something called home. Do you understand me? I, thought, I thanked the musicians this evening and I said, guys, thank you for letting my family come back to a church that still sounds alive. And I told preacher this evening, this afternoon, I said, dead people don't talk. And a dead church, you can't hear it. But as I walked through the, audience, through the uh, uh, lobby, I could hear a church that was alive. And it reminded me, but Sammy, you don't know if you remember, but it reminds you a little bit of the church in Venezuela. It was nonstop talking and chatting, and, and it wasn't about politics or money. It was about Christ and the victories and the failures we'd had that week and how God had been faithful. But it, it's hard because, you see, then I've got people like Juan Carlos, who, big old tall guy, huge guy. His greeting, he likes English, so I gave him an English name. I said, your name is now JC, because J is Juan and Carlos is C. And he goes, oh, pastor, I like you. I, I like you, Pastor JC. <laughs> See, mi amor, mi amor, honey, honey. My name in America is JC. <laughs> and he is, as a matter of fact, all our church, hey, JC. You know, they, they think it's spelled Y E I S I. Yay, C. I know it because someone wrote him a note, an encouraging note. That's one of the things I try to tell our staff. Please write encouraging notes to people once in a while. And somebody wrote to him, hey, Yatesy, have a great day. I'm like, man, they actually spelled that out. <laughs> well, that's fine. I give it. They don't speak English. But JC, uh, his uncle owned a construction company in Venezuela, a large construction company in Venezuela. JC's uncle left. He couldn't handle the heat and the pressure in Venezuela. So he left, left his company, left three mansions. Almost two of them have three stories and elevators that go up all three stories. It's all decked out. He's well off. He said, Juan Carlos, I'm leaving and I'm going to leave the company in your name. I want you to run it and send me the majority of the money. This, this guy is so infatuated with his own money that he really doesn't take care of his nephew. But J.C. works his tail off every day. He goes to work early in the morning. He's usually back home late at night trying to do construction, which is really at a standstill. We, we bought a piece of property. We started building the wall and then simply could not continue. We're, it's, our property is there. Matter of fact, we're trying to sell it to see if we can buy something partially made. And J.C. got an offer from the government for a job that was worth close to around a thousand or a thousand something dollars. He was so excited, but he came to me just really upset, honestly. He said, Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm very angry. So what is it, JC? He said, Pastor, the, the government, he says, you know, I don't like to work with the reds. That's what they call them down there. That's their color, red. They didn't realize that our Christ 
bought red before they owned it. And he says, Pastor, they, they, they want to give me the job, but they're asking me to charge several thousand over and to put it and say it's around 7,000 or 10,000. And they said, they'll give me an extra 1,000. He says, Pastor, do you, know, do you know what that would do for my family? I looked and I said, yeah, man. I, I sure know what that would do to your family. Pastor, what do I do? <sighs> like Hermana Yamilet, her son recently died. He was, he was very sick. He was born with this disease. And Fryan was 15 years old, and nobody wants to see your 15-year-old son die. Would you agree with me, parents? That's just... I've heard a phrase that says parents should not see their children die. It's just too painful. Yamilet took her son to the hospital three times and three times they sent him back and said, you don't have the stuff. And listen, this is what socialism does. They, they were the, the lady from Venezuela, the vice president of Venezuela was just at the UN a couple days ago. I'm talking two days ago. And you know what that, lose, that lady said? She said, Venezuela's medical system is free. And she's right. Yamilet walked straight to the hospital. They didn't ask her to register. They didn't ask her to give credit card information or nothing. Of course, she has to sit on the floor with other dead corpses or very sick people on the floor. So have I when my son Brian was operated Lucy sat on a chair and I slept underneath it for several weeks. Yes, it's free. You can go in. But you've got to bring even the cotton balls that they use. Every syringe, every band-aid, every medicine, every, every absolutely everything you must bring. If not, they will say, go, and when you have it, come back. If you come back with half, they'll say, all right, we'll let you in, but you've got to pay us this much but you can't pay it to us here. You've got to meet us in the back. So believe me, when socialism says it's free, it is. Walking in is free. The rest is up to you. Yeah, I need you to understand this. What Yamilet was facing was the survival or the death of her son. A nurse said, Yamilet, we feel sorry for you and we feel we can help you. If you, re if you get us around 300 to $500, we'll give you the medicine that belongs to another patient and we'll just tell that other patient that we, we were robbed and we couldn't give it to them. So Yamilet decided it's either my son or that other family's son. And she said, my son knows Christ. Theirs probably doesn't. So we were there the moment he died. Nothing could be given to him. And if you're angry, please remain angry. Because that should anger us. It should upset us to a point of doing something about it. But here's the other aspect about it. It's, it's not what we can do. Let's march up to their White House and, you know, hold a sign. 
No, we were asking ourselves the question of what would God want us to do? Which in essence is sometimes the last question we want to go to as humans. Now, of course, I'm talking out of Sunday. Everyone on Sunday has God on their mind. I know that. But it's outside of church that we're talking about. It's starting Monday morning and Satan is waiting Sunday night. Just waiting at the doorstep of your next day to open all hell and break it loose on you. Just to sometimes see how great your God is. And I'm, I'm taken back to the book of Acts chapter 5. Would you, would you open your Bible with me and look at that real quick? It's, this will not take much. Acts chapter 5 and look at verse 42, the very last verse. I don't want to take this verse out of context. I don't want to misuse it, misrepresent it, but I need you to read it. And I need you, after that, we'll, we'll understand a little bit of what went before that. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, guys, could we have that on the screen? Oh, it looks like no. Oh, yeah, there they are. Do we have that available on the screen? Acts 542. If you're using ProPresenter, just top in Bible and it should, it should get it. We use that on the field, so I'm a church has a whole packet and they have it for unlimited computers and they gave us the username and password. So cool beans. We get to use it on the mission field when there's electricity. Well, praise God, we now have generators. Yes. And they arrived when I left. How cool is that? <laughs> that was a little me being upset through my teeth and just going, <laughs> praise Jesus. <laughs> but look at what, what, what Acts 5.42 says. It says, and daily, this is the DNA of the church. Daily, in the temple, and in every house, they ceased not. They never stopped. Do two things. Teach and preach Jesus Christ. I had to ask JC, when are we the church? And he read, it says, todos los días. Means every single day. I said, JC, it doesn't matter what they're being offered. We need to remain being the church. And, and you need to understand, this wasn't a, a very powerful moment. We didn't have this triumphant hymn in the background singing to inspire our hearts to obey. No, we were sitting in my pickup truck. It was hot. We were frustrated. He was broke. I was too. I couldn't even help my brother in Christ. And he said, Pastor, do I take it? And I said, what should we do according to God? And he said, you tell me? I said, no. Christ already told us. We need to be the church every day. So I hope you understand the value of his decision. What's much bigger, it wasn't where should we eat, Denny's or Shoney's. It was should I have funds to feed my family or not? Yamilet's decision was should I allow my son to live by stealing and lying about it or should I allow my son to die by letting God take his course in our lives and learning to smile through it and if there has ever been a woman 
with a godly demeanor and attitude during the funeral. Boys, is this an exaggeration or was Yamilet shining? She was glowing. She said, I'm reminded that David stopped crying after his child was dead because he knew he, he knew he was in better arms than, her, than his. And she said, I know my young and broken. No, don't get me. Don't, don't get me. It was all heroic and patriotic. No, there was tears. She said, it's just so much nicer to know that his arms are tenderer than mine and stronger than mine. And yeah, I, was, I went there to encourage her and I was like, man, this is hard. You should be our pastor. <laughs> but you're a woman. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> Don't go to the U.S. There's options. <laughs> Scary ones, but they're not available. So you see the, 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 the weight of being the church always may seem slightly less difficult living here. And I'm not demeaning at all or, or belittling the problems we're facing. But to some of the folks there who I went supposedly to teach them have turned around and taught me instead. And to sing the word of a hymn, have thine own way, Lord, man, takes a different meaning. Thou art the potter, I am just the clay I'm not the potter's assistant clay I'm not the VIP clay I'm not the better quality clay than the other clay I'm just the clay nothing fancy about it just mud moldable mud you see because in the contrast of his glory in comparison I think we're less than mud and so when his order is be the church every day, daily, it has made some of our members cry, tremble, shake. Some have walked away angry and thrown the door and come back two days later and say, I'm sorry, Pastor, it's just such a hard decision. And I go, I know. That in the temple or in every house doesn't literally mean in the church building and in everyone's house it literally means in a religious setting or a non-religious setting be you in the church in your bible study your small groups or or be you at job my grandma my canadian grandma grandma and grandpa left texas during world war ii actually grandpa was trying to join the army here but he was in love so he was in Canada ended up joining the Canadian Navy they didn't ask for his ID gotta lock that one and and grandpa joined the Canadian Navy and fought with the Canadian Navy during World War II he was on the bottom of the boats he was a sonar guy hearing for the mines and the bombs and or submarines and grandma's gray eyes penetrating, gray, almost transparent. It's kind of scary to look at her straight, you know, like Medusa. It's like, should we stare? Will we die if we do? Grandpa and grandma 
left to go to the mission field when they were in their mid-40s. Just because they heard a missionary going to Peru stopped by their house, by their church, a Southern Baptist church, and he said, people need the Lord in Peru. By then, God got a hold of my grandpa so hard that a year later, they'd sold their house, their cars, my grandpa's small mechanic business, and he left his job, bought his tickets, no mission board, no college, and left to Peru. He just came back a few years ago. He is now 94, lives in Chattanooga. He'll tell me the story four times in five minutes. He can't remember much, but give him a Spanish Bible or an English Bible, and he'll cry his heart out. And he'll share God's word with you. You can be the pastor of a church and he'll try to lead you to Christ. That's awesome. But my awesomely crazy grandma, when she was not saved, was at a job, her job. There's this Christian lady, Canadian lady, fellow citizen of my grandma. And every day for lunch break, all the girls would sit together and chat except this one who would sit, open up her meal, eat it, and read scripture. And one day my grandma, because that's the kind of woman she is, got in her face and said, now listen here, darling. Sounds like more like Tennessee than Canada. But she, then she went, eh? <laughs> Had to throw that one in there. I don't know how it's going to fit. You listen to me. She says, why do you think you're that much more important than us that every day during lunch you have to sit by yourself and read that book? What is in that book that is so important that you cannot eat lunch with us? And the lady looked at her and said, do you really want to know, Francis? And grandma does not back down to anybody. Trust me, I was just there a few days ago and I still have bruises. And she said, prove it. And she said, sit your tail down and listen to me. And the arrogant, my grandma, short time later, she got saved and gave her life to Christ. And here was born the first believer in my mom's side of the family that would become the first generation of missionaries because someone was the church outside of the temple. Is someone here tonight thinking that this might be for you? Then praise God. Because it probably is. It's for all of us. It's not for Pastor Scott and the staff of pastors. It's for the church. So that they would teach and preach and there's a difference. One is talking about Jesus and the other one is how to grow in Jesus you know what I've, I've realized that I went to Bible college I went to school up in Indiana I learned everything the books had to say I stomped the right way I shouted the right way I hooted the right way I had my religion down well 
I went down to Venezuela thinking I could hoop my way down and realize, whoa, there's some serious stuff going on down here. And it wasn't that bad. Man. Oh, 718. What time do we stop, Pastor? I just I just forgot. How much? About two minutes, one minute, is that fine? Oh, till eight? <laughs> are you for real or are you joking? Oh. I thought I had taken longer. Well, I'll still try to keep it short. Here's, here's the thing. Go with me to the verse. Daily in the temple and in every house, they. Who's they? The fans of the church or the followers of Christ? The followers are the ones doing this. The fans are standing on the stand saying, no, you shouldn't have done it that way. Is our computer guy up there? Hey, bro, would you do me a favor? Can you look up the book of Luke chapter 7? And would the rest of you join me in that same scripture, Luke chapter 7? And I'm going to close with this. Luke chapter 7. To be honest, I've not preached a lot in English in the last five years, and sometimes I lose train of thought even. Um, preaching in Venezuela is just more exciting. You sweat so much. You've got to constantly have a set of wipers all over your face matter of fact at the rate I sweat I sometimes feel like I just got out of the locker from showering I just forgot to throw the towel over and dry just drenched I try not to wear dark colored shirts because by the end of the service I got all the salt lines all across it it's like Utah over there but It's been a treat being here just so far. I really do appreciate that. I appreciate everybody's love, but I still want the church to understand this. In Luke chapter 7, there's something so important. I'll give you the verse. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And we're going to read from there on. Verse 36. Guys, you've been awesome. I mean that. Thank you. Thank you very much. And they're grinning on top of that. That's just, that just makes it that much better, right? If they'd be looking at me like, man, what's this guy doing? They're grinning up there. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. The word of God says, And one of the, what? Pharisees. Can anybody, well, forget it. There's too many people to ask a question like that. Pharisees were guys that knew a lot of Old Testament scripture. Matter of fact, by age 12, these guys had memorized it. They had to. So man, their heads were wrapped around Scripture. But I want you to notice this. As one of the Pharisees desired him, Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. This is now Jesus. Went into the Pharisee's house and sat to meet. And, and let me tell you, back in that time, it was customary. It was just good manners 
to wash a traveler's feet. You'd either the owner or the owner's wife or, or, the, or the servants of the owner, but at least somebody would wash their feet. And so, see, the Pharisees are feeling threatened by Jesus' lifestyle and message. So when Jesus walks in, he doesn't wash his feet. It's like, deal with it. In my, in our Friday night men's meeting that I have, it started out with just a few businessmen, get this, businessmen in Venezuela that were considering to leave. And one of the businessmen from our church said, dude, would you come and join me? He says, I got all these guys, they're, they're, they're future of Venezuela, but they want to leave. I'm trying to convince them to stay. I'm showing them about Christ. And I started going Fridays. And then, so every 15 days, every two weeks on Friday nights, we have this awesome men's meeting. Now you don't have to be a business owner. You can be anybody, you know. You could rob the business and you can still come to the, and some of them probably have. That's the fact. Very few people rob down there for, for crime or for evil. We were robbed at the beach. We, we took a quick trip to the beach, tried to take a day and a half off. But knowing crime levels so high, we went with about 50 people of our church. All, many of the staff and friends, and we said, let's go together, we'll be safe. Well, three thieves did not think 50 was too much to rob. And they came in with guns ablazing and held us all at gunpoint, held our, our wives and some of the elderly ladies in our group at gunpoint and said, give us everything you have. I had, y'all know the, the GoPros, the little cameras? Well, when those things first came out, I was blessed with one of those. They would give it to me. And eventually, I later bought one of those little extendable sticks, selfie sticks. It's, but it was basically so I could record up high in areas in the church where I couldn't reach. You know, others, they get it for surfing. I'm like, Mission Field of Venezuela. <laughs> yeah. And it was great, but we took it to the beach with us, expecting to use it. And the guy came up, grabbed it, looked at it, flipped it around, threw it on the floor as soon as he saw our bottle of Coca-Cola, two loaves of bread, and some bags of chips. They stole all our food, a few purses, and ran off in some motorcycles. And I think what I was shocked is they were after the food. They were kids that were probably starving and their moms were too. So when we're with this incredible group of, of people and seeing the insecurity there, it reminds me, remember we just read Acts chapter 5, verse 42? It says, daily in the temple, in every house, what you don't realize is that a few verses before that verse is read, the lives of these men had been threatened to death if they continued preaching. Said, if we hear you again, we will kill you. And I understand what that means. I remember when we were fixing a bus for a group of a team that was going to the mission field to help one of our missionaries in the jungle. Since we cannot go as Americans, the government has prohibited Americans to go into the jungle. He's, I said, let's send a bus with some of our members and we'll take it off from there. As we were fixing it late into the early hours of the morning, two, three in the morning, five men entered in, big, large guns, 
threatened our lives and set everybody on the floor. They kicked us, they punched us, they hit us with their guns. Those kicks hurt because we were on the floor and they were standing and they were just nailing our sides and we were just holding on as best we could. I remember one of the guys saying, please, man, please let me shoot one, just one, just one. And the the desperation in his, the lasciviousness in his face was overwhelming. It was so scary to see it. And I remember him putting the gun at my forehead. He said, please, this one, this, this gatita, which means this blondie. I'm, I'm, I'm a blondie to them. <laughs> this light-skinned dude, or this one. And my brother-in-law was right beside me. He's married to my wife's sister. This little guy, let me, let me. He'd blow into his revolver. And making the sound that you know when a bullet's in there. Please, please. He cocked it. Please. <sighs> it was sickening to see his desire to see someone else dead. Remember, he asked, Whose motorcycle is that? I said, It's mine, sir. Why do you have a motorcycle? Those are police motorcycles. I said, Well, I'm not a police, I'm a pastor. I was about to say a mission. I was, I'm, I'm a moron I'm a pastor if I said missionary he'd automatically imply another country and I was like ooh I don't want him to ask where my family is and I just started panicking I remembered in the back of that motorcycle is my checkbook wallet and there's my passport in there oh God have mercy and I said what, what, do, you, what, what do you need he says this is yours he says and you're a pastor I said yes he says man I can't rob a pastor oh <sighs> He said, would you give it to me? I said, yes, sir. The motorcycle is yours. You have not stolen it. Can I take my, my wallet from the back? I said, you can check it for money. And as he was distracted with his gun, trying to make about 11 men stay on the ground, I grabbed my passport and flung it back. I grabbed my Venezuelan ID card that says North American on the bottom and threw it over and threw some glasses that I thought were cool too, but they ended up smashing those. Just stating the facts. And I showed him, I said, you can take it. I said, can I have my, my phone? Is this an iPhone? Yes. He says, oh, that's good. The other guy said, man, you can't hack those. Leave it. He says, no, that's fine. We'll sell it. I was like, oh, it's yours, sir. You may have it. All the men, including myself, were trembling when they left. Because in my motorcycle, they drove back two or three times just to make sure we were still laying on the ground. I know what these guys were feeling when they said, we will kill you with their teeth closed. Like, we'll destroy you if you keep talking about this Jesus. You see, the name of Jesus transforms lives. The problem is, and the reason these men did not stop and every day, daily in the temple, in the houses, they did not cease. After they were threatened, they never ceased to continue teaching and preaching. It's because of what we see in the book of Luke chapter 7, verse 35, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. 
and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with his hair and her head of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. And I'm going to stop there because 39 is the key. You, you understand, this woman, she saw the, the little terraza type place where they were all eating and, and saw that Jesus' feet were not washed. And she said, how can they not wash the man? The feet of the man that I know can change my life. How could they not bow down and rinse the dirt between his toes? So not allowing a minute more to go by, she ran bent over, poured something probably hanging from her necklace that was very expensive, only used for her special moments with special clients, and she just poured it all out and then dried his feet with her hair. She bowed at the feet of Jesus, but the guy who knew the Old Testament by memory said the following statement in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this was his thought, this man, this man, the reference to Jesus is this man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is and toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus was in front of him and he didn't know it was the Savior. Jesus spent out of his 40 last days on planet Earth. He spent one day going in the completely opposite direction towards Emmaus because two knuckleheads that believed in him were discouraged and were walking away and Jesus spent the whole day walking in the wrong direction just to bring them back to sanity and make them walk in the right direction. When he saw them in the right direction, he's like, I'm out of here. I got lots of stuff to do. So there is no excuse for us to follow Jesus because he has gone in the wrong direction with us until we turn around and decide to follow him. What's dangerous is those of us who say that we know him. Yet when he's in front of us, we don't recognize him. Because we're fans. We decided that Acts chapter 5 verse 42 belongs to other members in the church, not to me. And I asked this question tonight. Are you part of the church, the church? Or are you just following from the sidelines, criticizing what the pastor does or members do, what the church decides to do? Harvest 19, really? And trust me, I, I don't know anyone here enough. First of all, I wouldn't stand here and judge someone even if I didn't know, but I don't know anyone here enough to say, I hope this hits brethren such and such. All I asked our church on the mission field is if I'm gone for a short time, would you still love the Lord? Or are you loving him because the missionaries are with you guys? I've asked the church if, if the government in Venezuela says that Americans must leave and my family and I must leave and follow orders, will this church remain? Will there be an Iglesia Punto de Encuentro still in the city of Cabudare 
And to those of you who like Pastor Scott's preaching, what would happen if he wasn't here anymore? To those of you who like Brother Lamar's Sunday school class, what would happen if he can't be there no more? What if it comes to a point where these pews and our stained glass windows are prohibited by law? What would you do if holding the Bible became against the written law here in this country? What would you do? How far would you go to be the church every day in every place teaching and preaching because I need to let you know the Lord's return is at hand. He is coming and I thank him every day for it. I'm tired of power outages. I'm tired of having to hunt for weeks at end just to find food to feed my family and members of our church. I'm tired of corrupt people governing the country where God has called me to serve. I'm tired of it. I wish it would stop now, but I can't change what isn't in my power to change. All I can say is as the hymn says, it is well with my soul sometimes. It is well Almost all the time, it is well with my soul. And see, maybe right now America doesn't have to face, and I thank God it doesn't have to face some of these things here. But you guys are facing things that I don't have to face on the mission field. I don't have to fight the... LGBTQ agenda. I don't have to fight a left party that's trying to bring the morale of our country down. That's your guys' job. God took me to do one job, but he's left you guys to do another one. And I thank God it's under your leadership, Pastor Scott, and under your incredible pastors. I love each one of them. They've all impressed me so many times. One of our year's theme was until he returns. Another one of our, of our year's themes way back, God is greater. And it was inspired because I would get a mail and see it and I would say, oh, this is perfect for this year. You didn't know it. You didn't know your time of prayer and fasting was blessing us. But you know what? Sometimes I've been angry or frustrated or confused while I've decided to obey Christ. But I've learned that obeying him regardless of my frustration, my doubts, or my lack of knowledge upon the matter has nothing to do with the fact that I still need to obey that I still need to be the church. You may be struggling here today. You may be going, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway in. I like the church. Maybe I like the preaching. I'm not so sure about what they said that I couldn't do this or do that. Trust me, it's not the church saying. It's God said and when he asks us to obey, God also said that. When he asks us to surrender, God also said that. 
when he asked us to be the church daily and everywhere. But I wonder if so many, not necessarily here, but in our beautiful country, are simply followers of a tradition. We talked about it this morning in our Sunday school. What a tremendous class. Thank you, Pastor. It was wonderful. I got to be in the middle of our Sunday school class and one of your other initial classes. But there was questions pointed out. There was not doubts, but what should we do about? And that's where our hearts should be. So what can we do about it? And you know the same Juan Carlos, J.C., who did not accept the job, by the way? <laughs> His pickup truck and mine are the only two trucks our church has. And we fill both of our trucks up with a, with a big water tank. And we hand it out to the people who don't have water. Emana Yamilet literally allowed her son to die over a choice. Is one of the most dynamic volunteers. Brother Ivan Alonso has to travel every month to Colombia in a bus, which takes almost a day. Must go through all the robbings and stealing from the cops. He goes there every, every month to try and get insulin for his son. But he's the volunteer with his wife that meets and greets everyone coming to our church. He leads our welcoming team. And he has such an incredible smile, even though sometimes his son is half passed out back in the, another room. Folks, I'm telling you, when you understand who God is, being his church is nothing else but a privilege. It's an honor. So would you, would you join me in the effort and honor of being the church of our Lord? Would you promise me that together we will work hard at being the church every day, everywhere, that we never stop teaching, that we never stop preaching, and that the center of everything we do is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's bow for prayer. Bless your God. Our Father, we come to you tonight rejoicing in all that you do for us. We praise you tonight. We praise you for the blessings that we have that we don't deserve as Americans. We're living in a land of abundance. But that abundance has brought apathy, not gratitude. And thank you for touching our hearts tonight. Thank you for allowing us to say with Jeremiah, mine eye affecteth my heart. Lord, I pray that each one of us would understand that our lives are not for ourselves, but for you. And loving you means loving others. That means giving our all. May we stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed. As the pianist begins to play, my Jesus, I love thee. And if we're going to, to tell the Lord that we love him, then we need to love what he loves. We need to care about what he cares about. He cares about people all over the world. We live in a mission field and we interlock arms with missionaries that go places we cannot go. 
Would you take a moment tonight and, and pray for Daniel and pray for Lucy? Would you pray tonight for Michael, Brian and Andrew, for Nathan and his family there in Venezuela? It's a tough place. It's a tough place. Would you pray for them? Would you pray that you would hold the rope and be faithful and not become distracted, not become divided, not divide our church because they're counting on us along with 200 other missionary families? Now, Lord, we know we're not always going to get our way, but we want to get your way. So take these moments as we come into your presence.